Welcome back to a special holiday edition of Content Lab. I'm your co-host, John Becker, Editorial and Features Editor at Impact, joined by my illustrious co-host. We're not even co-hosts. I think you're sort of the main host and I'm the co-host. No, Liz no, Moorhead. no, 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 no. I am... I'm overruling you here. We are equal. This is 50-50? It's 50-50. Okay. You okay. come, actually, well, you come up with most of the topics. So maybe I'm the, <laughs> maybe I'm a fraud. Oh, good God. <laughs> That's awesome. We're existential within the first 30 seconds. I love it. I love Not it. cutting any of this. We're just going to plow through. Let it go. So it is that time in November where we are getting close to Thanksgiving and we are doing a Thanksgiving show today, all about what we are thankful for as content marketers, content writers, all sorts of content experts. Are you ready for this, Liz? Yes. And I promise not every answer will be AP style book. That's my commitment to you today. I might throw it in there as one though. You'll have to listen to find out, but yes, I'm ready though. I have a question before we get started. Yeah. Um, before we start diving into the things that we're thankful for, I'm curious, do you have like a go-to dish that you're known for during Thanksgiving dinner or like a personal favorite of yours where it's like, everybody clear the room. It's time for me and this green bean casserole to have some time together. Like what, what's your go-to? Oh, good question. I don't know that everybody likes it as much as I do, but I love making cranberry sauce from scratch. What? Yeah, it's way easier than you'd think. Uh, this time of year, if you go into supermarkets, at least around here, we both live in Connecticut, you can buy cranberries. And it's really, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I have this totally right, but it's basically like a bag of cranberries, a cup of water, a cup of sugar, you cook it, and maybe like a little bit of orange peel, you cook it, you let it cool, and that's basically it. Um, and then it, it has like a bit of a wow factor because very few people actually make it from scratch. And it is, it's a crowd pleaser. It's super fun, super easy. And if you've never done it, you should look up a recipe and try it. And it's the kind of thing where the recipe is probably on the back of the bag that you're buying because why else is anyone buying cranberries besides to make cranberry sauce for Thanksgiving? So, oh my gosh, I take it. Number one, I don't know what kind of weird household you live in, but cranberry sauce is always the thing that nobody touches whenever I've gone to Thanksgiving. I don't know why, even if it's made from scratch, even oh. if it's made from scratch. Number two, um, I make a rock star out of this world cranberry orange, orange walnut bread. So Ooh. there are other reasons why people would buy cranberries. Mr. Oh, John so I, I stand corrected. Also, also what's your, your go-to? Well, before I tell you what mine is, I also love how like, you know, demure reserved John Becker goes for the wow factor. I'm going to, I'm going to store that little bit of knowledge. <laughs> um, so my favorite thing <laughs> is I like to make corn pudding. It always ends up being a crowd pleaser because most people haven't had it before. Um, but it's also the easiest thing to make. So I get to walk in to Thanksgiving dinner and be like, oh, yes, I made it from scratch. But it's literally like <laughs> Jiffy Box, sour cream, cheese, corn, creamed corn, stir, stir, stir. Like <laughs> there's like no effort to it. But it, everybody always 
loves it. Like it's the thing I bring to every holiday party potluck, every Thanksgiving potluck. It's the thing where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I know I shouldn't have, but I did. And nobody's had it before and they think it's amazing. And then I love it and it's great. Otherwise I can get down with some really good stuffing, but I am terrible at stuffing. But like I so can't good. make it. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's a lot of steps, I think. You have to- I know. Yeah, you, it's easy to get it wrong. It can be too dry. It can kind of be like mushy. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like I've tried for years to like nail a good stuffing recipe and it always ends up being something like even a dog wouldn't eat. Like, it's just like, it's a disaster, <laughs> which is funny because like, I'm a pretty good cook. Like I just cooked Italian wedding soup last week from scratch with like from scratch meatballs with like my secret recipe for meatballs. And like, I cook a lot of stuff and stuffing is just like this thing. I can't wrap my brain around. So if anybody ever invites me over and they're like, and you're in charge of stuffing, I will be showing up with my homemade from scratch stovetop box. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's your yeah. white whale. You just can never, yeah, can't conquer it. So I'll kick things off for our topic today. I am thankful for stovetop. Thank you. Because <laughs> I can't yeah. do it. I can't do it. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So let, let's get into this. What are what are we talking about? We're talking about what we're thankful for content-wise as content nerds. That's right. Hmm. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay. I am thankful. Oh, so thankful for noise canceling headphones. <gasps> yes, preach, go on. We're all working from home these days. We all have distractions, whether even in the office, I, the, the business of writing, the business of editing, I need complete focus. And uh, I like over the air headphones. I like ones that can block out sound naturally. And then if they have a noise canceling feature, they're fantastic. And in fact, a requirement, I can't, can't do it without them. Love them. Noise canceling headphones. I'm thankful for. See, I have a noise canceling apartment and that no one else lives with me. So I don't really need those. Um, it's great. Yeah, but it's not just, it could be like, it could be neighbors upstairs, downstairs. It could be people mowing their lawn and it could be loud car. I mean, it's. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do have kids running around, which makes it hard. I do have a new neighbor though, upstairs who I am convinced is just like always trying to get their 10,000 steps in, in the exact same spot. So maybe I'm, you know, biased. what are your favorite types of noise canceling headphones? Like, do you have a go-to brand that you like? I, you know, they get really pricey really fast. And I have ones that are kind of bargain basement, but they, they work and they're good. And they're, you know, they've, they've kept me in good stead. Um, but I don't, I don't have a, I'm not like a Bose person. Like I'm like a, is there a, a TJ Maxx knockoff of Bose that might work for me? That's kind of more my speed. What if they made, okay, hear me out, hear me out. What if they made noise canceling headphones for content managers called pros? Boom. That's right. I'll be here all week. Heard, by all week, here. I mean yep. the next 45 minutes. <laughs> That's it. Oh, good one. Pros headphones. All right. All right, Liz, what are you thankful for? Uh, I am thankful for our sales team. So one of the things that you and I have talked about a little bit this year, and in particular, our episode, I think a week or so ago, we talked about, you know, first time lessons as a content manager. And we talked about how, you know, we embraced the revenue team model at our company, which means our marketing team including us and our sales team work really, really closely together to develop our content strategy. 
So about 50% of the content we produce at Impact is based on content brainstorms that we do with the sales team. So salespeople are some of the most busy people out there. It's really tough to get on their calendars. It's really tough to get all of them in a place at the same time. Like it's just very difficult because they're always prospecting or they have connect calls or they have discovery calls or they have proposal pitches. Like they're just constantly busy, right? And yet once every other week, they join us and take time out of their day to give us the topics we need in order to create the revenue generating content for impact that will help us reach our goals and help them quite frankly, stay fat and happy with, with qualified leads. So I just, I'm really thankful for the sales team for doing that. Um, I'll include some resources in the show notes for this episode. If you're like revenue team, what is this nonsense you're talking about? But I just want to give a quick shout out to them. They're great. You're here. Yeah, you got to run a, a, a sales brainstorm without me today. I did. I did. Yeah, they're, they're, really, they're really great meetings. Um, and I'm not one who typically raves about meetings. Maybe no one is, but they are, the sales team is, is so appreciative of the work that we do. So it's, uh, it's amazing to see our work actually making a difference in the, uh, in the revenue side of our business. So that's, that's fantastic. Oh yeah. Like when I think it, what was it? The, not this one this week, cause I wasn't there, but the one the week prior where I think Melissa on our sales team said like, this continues to be the most valuable meeting on her calendar. Like I'm the yeah. same way. I am not a meetings person and I just always enjoy those. Well, today, before you got there, Liz, Melissa also said when we were going through the content that we had published most recently, she said, well, I've already read all these and I've sent most of them to clients already. These are the ones that have come out within the last like 10 days. That's and amazing. she's like, yep, yeah, I check every Monday and, and read the ones that have come out. And these are great. They're already in use. So that makes me so happy. I know. That's what I said. It warmed my cold little content marketer heart. You know, our little <laughs> coal stones where our heart should be. <laughs> so similar to that, because this is also something we talked about recently, but something else that I am thankful for is Trello. And Trello is an organizational platform that we use. And this is, this is true. On Monday, I think Monday of this week, for about like two or three hours, Trello was down. And we were just like... Wringing our hands. Yeah, it was, it was, it got bad quick. Trello is such a, a staple of our organizational system and our processes. It, it's so important to us that um, if a day goes by or an hour goes by where it's not working, which has never happened before. So I'm not questioning its reliability. We just, it's, it's like, it's like losing all your, you know, losing your, your whole hard drive or something. It's it, everything that we have is on there. Um, all of our processes are, are articulated on there and it helps me every day keep my work organized, keep my effort organized and keep things moving forward. So we talked about Trello recently. It's, a, it's an organizational uh, platform online. It's, it's free, although there are paid versions. Um, and it, I don't think we could do what we do. I don't think I could do what I do without it. So I am thankful for Trello on this Thanksgiving season. That's true. Now, number one, I, I will agree with you. It is so wild to me how quickly we went from 
saying normal content managers to like almost Lord of the Flies like very quickly. Like the the quick the quickness of that devolution was almost horrifying. But thankfully it came back before anybody started yelling about conch shells. So that was good. But yeah, I can't I can't overstate how much I agree with you about Trello. Um as our editorial director, I actually have three different Trello boards. I have one for our top and middle of the funnel content strategy, one for our revenue content strategy, which is assignment selling content coming out of those sales content brainstorms that John runs. And then I also have one for our video strategy. So I use them a lot. And uh, I have actually written a bunch of articles about uh, Trello and how to use it. And by a bunch, I mean two. Um, it's a very small bunch, but it's a small it's mighty, bunch. It's mighty. A mighty bunch. Um, but if you just go to impactplus.com and type in Trello in the search bar, both will come up. I, I cannot, I cannot echo John's sentiments enough. It I have used many different production pipeline card-based project management systems to try to manage content production in a way that not only enables us to move pieces of content through many different stages with many different people, but also provides the visibility and ease of use that our leadership team needs, that we need in order to run it. You know, it, it's just, it's so lightweight. Like what we do on Trello is with the free version and that's amazing and I love that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, here, here for Trello. Wait, wait. Thank you, Trello. Thank you, Trello. Um, I am going to thank next pumpkin, my cat. Um, so since we've been living in the quarantine times or as the, or as my friend likes to say, the quarantines, I'm still not sure how I feel about that, but I'm going to roll with it today. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, like I live alone, I don't really have much going on. I'd like to thank my murder faced cat for always, um, allowing me to <laughs> workshop my material with her. There are times where I've literally like read out issues of the latest, the email newsletter I write for impact, like to her, <laughs> just because it helps me to have an audience. All right. I am a cat lady and it's fine. This is just where we're at and it's fine. Um, but no, like it gets a little lonely living by yourself and like not having any sort of interaction with people. So even though I jokingly say things like, wow, pumpkin, I didn't know you had such complex opinions about the state of our economy. <laughs> Like, I know that's not true, but like, it's nice to have someone to talk to and like read things to. So thank you, Kat, who is Thanks, pumpkin. snoring at my feet. That's fine. So I don't use them as much as I once did, but I am forever thankful for moleskin notebooks. <gasps> They're these little leather bound notebooks. They have like a stiff back, so you don't have to they're not floppy or flimsy and you can get them in all different sizes and configurations and colors and page, you know, some that are blank or lined or whatever. You've probably seen them there. I picture them in like airport shops and like, you know, stationary stores, those sorts of things. Um, Moleskine notebooks are, I think were famously used by a lot of really well-known writers and uh, they are essential for me to like get down ideas. I always have one with me it, like in a backpack or in a, in, a, um, in a bag if I travel or if I'm, you know, when I'm at the office. It's just a place that, that feels like a very beautiful and loving place to like put your ideas. Sometimes it's almost like a little bit too nice to like doodle or 
or uh, write something that isn't great. But I think materials matter. And, and anyone who is like a writer or, or an artist or something, they're, they're particular about their pens, about their notebooks, about their writing space, about the creative process. And for me, moleskin notebooks are beautiful and perfect. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have an awkward love affair with materials and pens and notebooks. Speaking of which, my next thing is Le Pen pens. <laughs> Literally, they're called Le Pen. I'm going to hold one up just so John can see it. No one else can see it because suck it, losers. You can't. Um, I love these pens. They are felt tip. They're these small little dainty pens. The design of these pens has not changed since I was a child. I actually picked up this pen obsession for, or this obsession for Le Pen uh, from my mom. They are, they write absolutely beautifully. They're smooth. The royal blue ink on the blue one is just so rich and eye popping. Like it makes the experience of writing just like, I love it. Like it makes me want to like write more and take notes more and do all of those things. And they're just so crisp and beautiful. And they come, you can get small packs of like just three basic black or a black, a red, a blue, or you can get ones where there are like 30 different colors. Like some are neon, some are just bright standard colors. Like this is the perfect pen. Now, if you are a female or perhaps a husband who has ever been subjected to things like Magnolia, Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, Hearth and Hand by Magnolia at Target, of which I have bought everything from their Christmas line. This is also Joanna Gaines's favorite pen to the point where if you go to the online Magnolia shop, you will find a Magnolia branded Le Pen. So these are Chip and Joanna Gain approved if I wasn't enough for you. And if I'm not enough for you, that sounds like a you problem and not a me problem. But these are the perfect pens. I love it. I, I feel the same way, not about those pens particularly, but I think I know what you mean. Um, What's your pen? Pens. I like the, the G2 rollerballs, uh, <gasps> but I'm, I'm not as particular. Um, my wife is a lefty. My daughter is a lefty and my son is a lefty. Like we are a family of Southpaws except for me. And I think lefties are particularly, uh, they particularly, specific standards when it comes to a pen because they it smudges if it's you know if it's too bold or if it doesn't dry right and my wife loves le pen so we have tons of those around i yes. use them i like them and i am a fan you're a fan but it's not enough to be your number one if you're also i will say the g2 rollerball i could never get behind it i don't know what it is about it it sometimes gets a little globby for me but i'm also yeah. a very like intense presser when i'm writing but you can get extra fine. There's, there's something for everyone. Just, just putting it out there. <sighs> Whatever. Well, also uh, I will throw out another pen though. I want to throw out another pen just in case for the ballpoint lovers in our audience, my secondary runner up pen in my pen universe is the classic Parker Jotter, the Parker Jotter pen. I love these and they come in different colors um, you can get bare. I have the CMYK barrel set, which has like pink and yellow and blue and black. And then, but the inks are still just all black, which is really nice. They're just clean. They're crisp. It is the only ballpoint pen I use, um, on Amazon. The pricing is kind of all over the place. I can get, you can get a four pack of the color ones with the black ink for like $17 for four. 
And then there you have like unique one-offs that are like $25 a piece. Now I know what you're saying. That sounds insane. These pens last forever. And they are also the kind of pens where you can then replace the ink cartridge inside of it. And it's just got a good weight and a good heft. And again, it's about the, these are the tools you use every single day. You might as well like enjoy them. And honestly, it's kind of fun. So yes. All right. I'm done with my pen spiel now. You may, you may. So it sounds maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but I am thankful for deadlines. Deadlines are such an important part of writing for me, such an important part of, of both the editing and, and the writing I do. A, a deadline keeps me on task. It keeps me moving forward. It keeps me from wallowing in writer's block or, or you know, just sit, letting something sit for too long. I think I used to teach creative writing classes and I, I remember students would sometimes complain about deadlines. They're like, well, writing is like a free expressive process and it's not about it's done when it's done not when like someone says it is but that's that's no. like journal writing if you're any kind of writing is all about deadlines it's all about you know in, in, at least in print journalism it's about word count it's about you know different different rules to follow and rules are kind of what set you free sometimes rules are are what allow you to move forward so being able to give deadlines to um to people I'm, who are working for, you know, writing things for me, I think is actually really helpful. You know, if you're giving a draft back and they need to get a draft back to you, if you say, oh, just get it to me within a week or get it to me within 24 hours, like sometimes get it to me within 24 hours is, is actually better for them. It gets them like after it, it gets them to, to do something and to move forward as opposed to a week where they're gonna wait six days and then do it within 24 hours after those six days pass. And the same thing for me as a writer, having, having a deadline, having a regular publication schedule is, is critical. I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't do it any other way because having a, 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 an end point lets you know where you're going. Thank you. Deadlines. I love that. I love that. You know, I love the thing you said too, about rules, giving you freedom uh, my best friend, Jesse Lee Nichols, she used to work for Impact. She's now the creative director at Loan for Creative, which is a smaller boutique agency. She always said as a designer, she hated when she was given the blank check. You know, like, oh, just be creative. I want to see what you come up with. She's like, I like rules and I like structure. Like, don't give me nothing to go on. And I completely yeah. agree with you. With rules, there are freedom because that actually forces you to be more creative instead of just designing for yourself. Um, or writing yeah. for yourself in this case. Also, could you imagine if somebody took that approach to like taxes? Like it's a free flowing process. It takes a lot of time. Numbers are hard. You know, it's going to get done when it gets done. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, could you imagine how quickly <laughs> everything would fall apart? Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Next up on my thankfulness list is something where I'm like, this is, this is my number one discovery this year. So I have always been someone who, have you ever had things in your life where it's like, everybody tells you this, like one thing, person, show, whatever is like great. And you like want to want it. You want to like it desperately. And there's just something wrong about that person, that thing, that software, that platform, that thing that just makes you like, I can't, in fact, I hate it. The more I look at it for me, that was Evernote. 
I don't know what it is about Evernote, but I have never been able to have that like online digital notebook, right? Where I don't want to break out like my Le Pen and like my Moleskine because I also too, I too have a Moleskine. Um, you know, I, I it's the thing where it's like, I need to take notes in a meeting. I also need to make checklists. I need to like do things really quickly and group them by notebooks and like have some sort of hierarchy there. And Evernote for me sometimes, or not sometimes, it was just always like falling short. I could never customize it how I wanted to. I didn't like the aesthetic or look of it. It was such a pain in the butt. And then they made it so you had to get some sort of like paid version in order to access your stuff across multiple devices. And I'm like, this is, but that's like the thing. That's like the one thing I need. Um, so our director of digital product, Morgan Vanderleest, um, he oversees Impact Plus and all of develop all of the development over there with our with our um with our premium gated stuff. He introduced me to something called Notion. And I think I've gotten you to use it too. And if you have some love for it, I'm happy for, for you to share. It's a very simple application that you can use on the web as a downloadable app on your computer, whether that's a Microsoft computer or a Mac computer or your phone, Android or Apple. Um, and I just love it. It's clean. It's super intuitive to use. I don't find myself just as angsty about it the way I did about Evernote for some reason. Like I just was really put off by it. And I can access everything across multiple devices without having to pay for it, which I really appreciate. I am literally reading my list of thankful things off of Notion. So I am, yes, you got me into it full credit and I totally agree. I was the same. I never like tried all that hard with Evernote, but I had tried it in the past and I know so many people love it. It just didn't really click with me and Evernote, I'm sorry. And Notion has been, has kind of filled that space for me and, and I am the exact same way. I keep my work notes in there. Um, I do have the app on my computer. I don't have the app on my phone yet, but I probably will at some point. Um, it's great. Very oh, yeah. intuitive. Like you said, very clean, very easy to use, uh, very adaptable. So yeah, I want to actually bring up my, my notion has like my entire life in it, which is not something I ever thought I would have. I'm actually bringing up my notion now. So in my notion, I have everything I do for my personal website, um, notes from management team meetings, uh, I have a notebook full of notes for all of my planning sessions with our director of demand generation when we plan our monthly content calendars. I have specialty content projects. Uh, I have huddles. I have, and then I have my personal stuff. I have budgets and to-do lists. So I'll just go in there and like make a shopping list, make a quick budget. Oh, I'm going on a trip. This is what I need. Like all of these little things and I can do it so quickly, which I freaking love. So go find it. It's, I think it's notion.co if I'm not mistaken, mm. or just like look up notion. Just, it, it's amazing. Please, please go get it. You'll love it. So I have, uh, I have two more that I'm thankful mm -hmm. for. Um, so I'm thankful for this. I, Every, every once in a while when the New Yorker is is running like a, okay, fine, subscribe for $5 for the next like two months or something. I usually do that. I'm not going to subscribe for like $180 for a year because that's a lot of money. And 
I can never keep up with it long-term. It's just like too much writing. But if it comes for a couple, you know, for a month or two, it's great. And I, there's this thing I read this summer uh, and it was an article by this guy named Nathan Heller. And it was about like the future of cars. And, um, and in it, he like, and he doesn't drive. He grew up in a city and like never got a license, but he, he nails the like ineffable allure that cars can offer so much so that this like stuck with me. This was, he wrote it in, or it came out in July and I read it and it like stayed with me. And when I thought about today, I was like, this is what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for sentences that are so good. They make me like put my book down and stare out the window. And like for, for word choice that is like so good that, that it, it just, you know, it, it quickens my pulse. Um, so I, I'll read this, this short little paragraph that he wrote, which is, it's just, it's just stunning. And, it, and this is what writing can be at its best, so much so that it, it, it latches onto your heart and, um, and doesn't let go. So he wrote, though I've never been a driver, I have notions of the things I do not know. Once, some years ago, a woman in a new rented convertible drove me along Mulholland Drive near midnight in a high wind coming, off of the, coming in off the Pacific. Our hair was ropey from exposure and the streaming channel played There is a Light That Never Goes Out by the Smiths in a trail of sound we seemed to leave behind us in the road. The air was rough, leaves and twigs that had snapped in gusts whipped at our faces and the leather of the open seats. She took Mulholland's bends hard as if trying to tell me something about her that I hadn't understood. In this suspended state between the starting place and the inevitable return, I felt for a long moment settled, as if I had reached the life that I had been using mine to chase. Then we arrived a few days later. I'm sorry, then we arrived. A few days later, we returned the car. That journey ended, and we do not speak much anymore. Wow. And this was like, you know, this was like a piece about the future of cars and, and human transportation. And this, this writer like drops in this just absolute tour de force of, of just brilliant, pithy, precise language that, you know, stays with me months later. And I think for any, for anyone who's a reader, we have those moments where we really connect with text, we connect with the writer. And I'm thankful for those because that's the best thing that writing can do. Okay, a couple of notes. Um, number one, I totally know how you feel about the New Yorker. I ended up caving and getting the big subscription, but I got the digital only just because what would happen is the New Yorkers would pile up and I would just be like, you illiterate moron. Like, you're never going to read anything. You're gonna another one you playing, haven't read. You're going to keep yeah. playing blockscapes on your phone. Like, let's not lie here, but I love the digital <laughs> subscription. Uh, number two, the word ineffable. I love that you use that. Uh, that just makes me happy. I loved it so much. I literally wrote it down. I just wrote ineffable. Um, and number three, gosh, that is a beautiful passage. But you reading it reminds me of when you did National Poetry Month back in April, uh, which feels like 18,000 years ago. <laughs> And, and you would do all of these recitations and like of different poems and you would film them. And it was so cool. Uh, that's amazing. I'll definitely make sure to link that in the show notes. So you said it's Nathan Heller, the future of cars. I will. Yeah, I'll send a link. Um, but yes, absolutely. 
perfect i'll make sure that gets in there um gosh i wish i had something that romantic and beautiful but guess what kid i was guess what time it is it's ap style book appreciation o'clock yay dear ap style book you bring order to a world full of chaos although people are willfully misunderstanding of your oxford comma rule in that we don't say you don't use it ever we just say you only use it when necessary or when there's confusion. You know what I'm so freaking tired of? I'm so tired of the like strippers, Stalin and Hitler one where it's like in that case, AP style book would say use the Oxford comma because you don't use have an it. agreement among those things and it would be confusing. It would be confusing. Or when people are like, I'm going to the store to get apples, oranges and, and bread are you really going to get confused that it's like apple and bread? Like, is there some sort of hyphenated thing I've never heard of? Like, come on, people, get it together. But to AP Style Book, the reason I prefer you above all other style guides, including Chicago, sorry, Jen Burrell, content marketing trader and impact, is that it's fluff free. It goes out of its way to be clean, to be streamlined. There is a reason why journalism or journalists, newspapers, magazines all use it. It's a reason why a lot of marketers use it as well. It's easy to understand, except if you're a willful comma clinger. Um, it's just beautiful. And thank you for making my life easier and making it easier for me in our Slack channel to be like, no, that's not the rule. See, it's there. <laughs> so thank you. Style book. I love you. So connected to that is the last thing that I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a million things, but the last thing I was going to share today is I am thankful for amazing colleagues who can frolic in the gardens of language and grammar with me. And we get to have wonderful discussions, uh, sometimes slightly contentious, but largely spirited and, and engaging discussions about commas and capitalization and spelling and sentence structure. And I am lucky to work with people who are nerdy like I am. I love the way you phrase nerdy that. Nerdy in the same way. I love the way you phrase that as if it hasn't gotten downright petty in some of our Slack channel discussions. Like there was the kerning discussion. There was the great how many spaces after a period debate. You got extra you petty during that one, which I will forever like. I I'm gonna put that in the show notes. The 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 level of pettiness you achieved, like you made it. You made a picture of what it looks like to you when letters are too close together. Like it just it warms my heart how petty people will get about this stuff. Like the violence with which we will like throw down. <laughs> we all have moments we're not proud of, but the the. the, the... <laughs> Still, it's nice that someone uh, gets me, even if they don't always agree. Number one, be proud of that. And number two, of course, I understand. Did you see how violent I almost got about the Oxford comma? Like, come at me with your stupid arguments, people. Let's go. Let's rumble. I don't care if it's petty. It's a petty <laughs> hill I'll die on. All right. Finally, last but not least, mine is somewhat tangentially related. I am thank you, thankful for you, John. I have had so much fun doing this podcast with you this originally started with just me and i was lonely and also to be fair to our audience i need balance i 
need someone to rein me in <laughs> or like sometimes you'll quietly like nobody can see what I'm doing right now but you'll kind of like make your finger in like the wrap-up motion and I'm like oh maybe I shouldn't have gone into that deep story about when I was eight years old and a childhood trip with my father to explain the importance of introductions like maybe I shouldn't do that um so I just want to say thank you this is so much fun and I love that I get to spend an hour each week just like nerding out over content stuff with you so thank you right back at you Liz gushy nonsense done with being mushy john teach me something make me smarter so a lesson today is more of a, a it's not an x's and o's type of grammar thing but but just a, a reminder that and this comes from something you've taught me very uh very importantly liz and i, I was talking to brian casey another colleague of ours recently and just about the important of per, importance of personality in our writing and how when we're writing anything, um, the reader wants to feel like there's a person on the other side of it. And personality is what makes a piece memorable. And, and you always say, Liz, you, you know, make this sound as though, make this so that no one else could have written it but you, make it sound like yourself, give yourself permission to sound like yourself, act like you're talking to a friend. There are lots of kind of techniques and, all that having been said, there's there's uh, there's the great advice to read the room, and and sometimes humor makes sense. I, I think a lot of times when people hear personality, they think, oh, well, I just have to be funny. And sometimes funny is great, and sometimes funny doesn't work. Sometimes people think they're funny and they aren't. Like Liz, funny you're, isn't you're a very funny trait. Like you know, it's not. No, it's not. But there are people who are not funny who you know, yes, struggle and and try to be. So sometimes humor makes sense. But as I said, mostly personality just means the reader should feel like there's a person on the other end, someone who gets them. Um, so give yourself permission as you're writing anything uh, to, to sound like yourself, to, to share your personality, to share what makes you you in a way that makes sense for the piece. Um, it's not about you, uh, so it shouldn't be overbearing, but, but personality is, is what makes us connect to, to anything we're reading. I love that. I mean, of course I love that. I completely agree with it. Um, I completely agree about the funniness thing. And I think the other thing too, is that, you know, when people say things like, I want to have personality in my writing or my content, like that person, it's like, no, 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 no. Not like them, like you. Right. And I think you and I've had this discussion, like the way, like the way you and I express ourselves with personality is very different. You have a deft like precise touch, you know, you have, you're very planned, you know, you have, and I am like someone just decided not to white light one sparkler, but like all of the sparklers at once in a bag, you know, how like you'll give a kid sparklers, like, Hey, light one. And they're like, here, I've lit off 50. Like, it's kind of like that. So it should not be the same for every single person. And I think that's always the key. The key is not to be like somebody else. The key is to be yourself. 
that's it. Otherwise people will be able to read right through it. And I love what you said too, about, you know, reading the room, situational awareness, I think is the most important thing, you know, and that I think is a, an entire topic for a different day. In fact, we should put that in our little backlog, how to have situational awareness in a piece of content. Cause there are some times where it's like, yeah, this is not the appropriate time for a joke, buddy. My business is falling apart. <laughs> the- exactly. Um, all right. So Liz, uh, what are you reading? Oh, I'm so excited Um, because I now get to do a dramatic reading. So I'm a big fan of McSweeney's Internet Tendency, which is a digital publisher, although they do have a printed version that goes out on a quarterly basis. For the most part, I would say 90% of the stuff they publish is funny. It's humorous. Um, or satirical. And in some cases, they've actually been doing a very interesting series on uh, frontline workers written first person uh, during Mm -hmm. the COVID-19 crisis. So you're going to get a lot of different things there. Um, The one I chose this week is, it's one where I felt attacked as if I'm like, oh, I've done this to many people in my life. So we will do a small dramatic reading. It is called The Show Takes Until Season 5 to Get Good, but it is so worth it. I know you're looking for a new binge, and I can't recommend Jericho Creek enough. Now, it starts off slow, and it takes some time to find its footing, but when you're halfway through Season 5, everything clicks, and it is truly one of the best shows on television. Can you skip the first four seasons? I mean, you could, but then you'd be missing out on the journey. You'd lose all the character development and personal growth that can only be experienced by watching 80 episodes of plotting television, where oblivious characters remain oblivious for years before finally having a profound and overdue demonstration of true self-awareness. It's that sort of long-term investment that ultimately makes the show worthwhile. My fiance, Kyle, recommended it to me when we were first dating, and boy, am I glad that I stuck with it. It really pays off. Otherwise, I'd be in a worse place at the end of an extended time commitment, and that would just be sad. Like, I just love this. You and I were talking about this one before we started recording. There's a very similar one that's on the New Yorker humor section, which the New Yorker humor section of McSweeney is like, those are like my two favorite go-to places when I need a giggle. But like, we've all done this. Like, stick with it. You just need to watch the first 18,000 episodes and then it really pays off. (laughs) Yeah, nothing makes me like a show less. You know, like there, there's something about a strong endorsement that that always makes me kind of skeptical. And TV's got to be really worth my time, you know. And I think we've all, at least I'll speak for myself, I've I've started and you know made it like through a pilot of a bunch of different shows that people have told me are fantastic. And and either I just am too busy or I don't get back to it or or it just didn't resonate with me. I don't know. Yeah. I. I Someone's telling me, hey, you got to get, you got to make it to season five. Hard pass. I don't think it's going to happen. Sorry, chief. It's not going to happen. No, I've had that. Like, there's a reason why it took me 10 years to watch Garden State. And by the way, still didn't like it and still think Natalie Portman's character is a, is a little pixie dream girl who's not real. Uh, I am now getting beat over the head right now with the Queen's Gambit, which I'm sure is great everyone is telling me to watch it and there's just that fussy little malcontent inside of me and by inside of me i mean pouring out of every pot like pour of my being um is no can't make me 
But yet I am also that person who's like, you've really got to watch this. You're going to love it. Uh, you're going to have to skip these episodes of West Wing, but it's perfect. Yeah, just pretend that season didn't happen. Like, I am that person. I remember making a list with a friend one time of, of things that we didn't like, but we had absolutely no reason not to like, or that we had never like seen or experienced or read ourselves, but just didn't like them because they came with so much cultural baggage or so much, you know, so many people pointing and saying, you have to watch this, you have to read this, you have to, and I just like, you know, like I've never read Twilight. I'm sure it's great, but no, I have like beef, beef with Twilight because so many people, it was so popular for so long and, you know, things like that. It's just like, I, I, have no, I, I have no firsthand knowledge of why I don't like this and I'm sure it's irrational, but I'm an irrational person and I just don't. Honestly, John, I would only want you to read Twilight just to watch you try to explain to me how bad it is without <laughs> your brain collapsing upon itself like a dying star. Right, well, or I'd actually just like to be in a room with you while you read it. Like just to see like the baffled expressions as you turn page to page. And I'm someone who's read all of them. And was right. I just telling my best friend earlier that there was a chance I was going to be rewatching Twilight today while I did some writing work? Absolutely. I will probably start right after we record. But I have the same thing. Like there are just things where I'm like, no. Although it's so funny. The one I know that I'm going to get the most flack for is I still haven't seen The Wire. I haven't seen The Wire either. Okay. I know people love about love it, rave about it. It's Obama's favorite show. Like, I know it's amazing. I'm sure it's incredible. I've tried to start it a few times. And I'm someone, like, I went through Breaking Bad. I will commit to the long term for shows. I saw every episode of Lost. Like, I will stick with it. And for some reason, The Wire, I've just never been in the right headspace to watch the most terrible depressing sad parts of baltimore like come to life on my screen i don't know why and i will watch dark heavy stuff uh anyway all right so i want to end this podcast since it's the thanksgiving episode with one last question and i think we should both just acknowledge the fact that this is a very different year for a lot of people, a lot of people are not going to be able to spend time with family or things like that. So I was just curious, what, what does Thanksgiving look like for you this year? Is it the same? Is it different? We usually will do like in past years, we'll do a Friendsgiving and then a Thanksgiving. So like, you know, a meal with friends and then a meal with family. Uh, I don't think we're doing either. I think we're, we're just staying home and, um, it'll just be the immediate family, which is, you know, super sad because we have people we love who are um, close by and that's, I think, what we have to do. Yeah, I, I'm still unsure as well. There's a good chance that maybe me and Pumpkin just gathering around the table for like, I'm gonna, no matter what, even if I'm by myself, I'm gonna cook my turkey. I'm gonna make my, my dazzling corn pudding and yes. then I'll just I'll project onto pumpkin and pretend she's like, oh my God, did you sleep over in this all day? And I'll say like, yes, I did. I might be spending some time with other people, but just quite frankly, the way the numbers are shaking out, I, I'm wondering, you know, how good of an idea that is. Like, even though the, the group is small, yeah. even though it's someone who's traditionally been in my bubble, I'm just, you know, I'm very thankful yeah. for what I have this year. Um, it's a tough year though. So- I think we should take the cue from- um, from sports teams and, and like get a bunch of cardboard cutouts of 
either famous people or like historical figures or celebrities and just like sit them around our table. So it's you, Pumpkin, and Miller Fillmore, Keanu Reeves, Miller Genghis Fillmore, Khan, and Rasputin. Uh, I don't know. What kind of Thanksgiving table is that? I'm sorry. It's going to be some Fillmore, interest, interesting Reeves. conversation. Wait, wait. Miller Fillmore, Keanu Reeves, Genghis Khan, and Rasputin? You might fight over the corn pudding. It'd probably come to some kind of, yeah. And on well, that note, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh my God. I'm not sharing corn pudding with Rasputin. I feel like he'd try to kill me for it. I think he's taking it. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>